Peter Hitchens, welcome to Creed and Culture. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure so far. <laughs> Peter, you are known for having a somewhat pessimistic view in your outlook on the state of wider culture. Why is that? What's going on in wider culture and why are you pessimistic? I'm pessimistic because I made a considerable effort as much as was within my power uh, to fight against these changes uh, really 20 and more years ago now, uh, and I could get nowhere. Uh, I wrote a book called The Abolition of Britain uh, describing what was going on, uh, and to the extent that it was noticed at all, it was mainly abused and was certainly ignored. I then wrote a, a, a subsequent book on the, the menace to liberty, uh, in our current attitudes towards many things. And that, again, was where it wasn't abused, was ignored. Uh, I've consistently tried to raise a number of issues from education to the the, the, the Blairite takeover of the Conservative Party uh, to the complete failure of this country to address the problem of, of drugs. And recently, uh, I wrote a book about the destruction of our state education system. Uh, it's almost impossible even to get these books reviewed uh, let alone reviewed intelligently, uh, or, uh, and this is probably most important of all, acted upon. And so from having been a person who thought that I had the springs of action uh, within my grasp and the, being a columnist on a national newspaper and somebody with a bigger platform than most human beings never dream of having, I might be able to influence the direction of my country. I now know that I cannot, have not done so, have completely failed. Uh, under the circumstances, it would be stupid not to be a pessimist, really, wouldn't it? I've, I've attempted to do what I should have done, and, I've, and, and the result has been complete failure. People simply are not interested. So if they're not interested, then, I'm, then, then I have to say, well, if you don't care, then you're going to get what you asked for, hot and strong. And I can do nothing about it for you. I, if people ask me to get engaged in political arguments now, and I say, no, I'm sorry, I've had it. Uh, what you've what you're getting now is, is is what you either didn't try to prevent or or what you actively sought. So what do you want me to do? Uh, I have a life to lead. I'm not dead yet, so I might as well live it. Okay, so you've mentioned some issues like the war on drugs and issues in education. Yeah, uh, someone might say that you haven't got you want got what you wanted in some particular areas of policy. Is that what's happened, or is this bigger? Is this more? I've got nowhere at all. That's an issue. Nothing. Nothing that I've said has has had any impact. So I went. I, I began to be tired as a newspaper columnist of writing about what appeared to me to be the, the extraordinary decline in the, in the effectiveness and the usefulness of the police force and of the criminal justice system in general. And I did some research and I found out why I was writing about all these things all the time because a, a definite effort had been made to alter the way in which the police force acted, in which the courts acted, in which the, in, in fact in which the state of this country pursued crime. Uh, and I pressed this book into the hands of uh, one actual serving Home Secretary, several police chiefs, and I never even got a note in response uh, saying thanks to the book. And I don't believe anyone even ever read it. I was in a position to draw their attention to it, but they weren't interested in it at all. That's just an example uh, of, the, of the frustrating nature of things. Uh, it must now be 20 years since I started pointing out that the Conservative Party was not Conservative anymore, that David Cameron had actually had actually blairized it and that he used the 20, he was planning at that time to use the 2010 election uh, to get the Conservative membership and, and voters to endorse uh, the takeover of the Conservative Party by Blairism. And the response at that time was often very angry 
uh, colleagues and friends of mine who thought, thought themselves conservatives said that I was d destroying the conservative cause and was doing a great deal of damage. Now the same people, with no reference to me, are saying all the time, well, the Conservative Party's not conservative at all. I say, well, it's, it's, thanks for noticing, but if you paid any attention when I drew your attention to it with a huge amount of evidence many, many years ago, you could have done something about it. Now you, you can't. And so it, 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 is, it is frustrating. It is the curse of Cassandra. I always to be right, never to be believed. And the, the great danger of, of understanding what's going on and bothering to do the research and bothering to find out the legislative origins of things which are happening, which are annoying people, uh, is that you do it too soon. And by doing it too soon, you, you completely fail to reach any kind of audience. I, if I were doing it now, I would probably have been more cautious and perhaps more roundabout, because I think it, it may well be that you can't confront people directly with the truth. Mm. Uh, they won't believe it. But there it is. Interesting. So is the is the big problem that conservative values are disappearing from British society? Is that what I'm hearing from you when you're talking about well, the Conservative Party? For, 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 British conservative values have been disappearing from, from British society for more than a century. That's not new. Uh, the point is that the it's not that they're disappearing. It's that a, a different uh, set of, of morals and principles and a whole different set of political objectives have taken over from them and have now reached a stage where it's necessary for their progress for them to wipe out what remains of conservatism in this country. So we're rapidly moving into the, what I call the marshmallow totalitarian stage, where even expressing certain views becomes harder and harder. It's not that anyone will take you away and throw you into the gulag, it's that they will take you away and throw you out of your job, uh, which Amnesty International is never going to intervene over the fact that, that somebody's lost their job or, 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 or ceased to, to have a platform because they said something that wasn't allowed anymore. But I constantly get people shouting about, oh, good heavens, look, we can't say this, we can't say that. So what do you expect? You're living under the rule of people who don't think that that sort of thing should be said. And they will they will shut you up and you let this happen. So now you complain? What, what, what am I okay. supposed to do? Well, to push but, back but, there... But put germaline on their, on their bruises. I, I can't... It's just tedious watching all these people running around saying, oh, gosh, we don't live in a conservative country anymore. Well, of course you bleeping well dead. Uh, but but you, to push you, back you, there... You watched while it was dismantled all around you and you wouldn't do anything. To push back, though, Rishi Sunak recently defended Kathleen Stock's right to speak at the Oxford Union in response to protests from students at Oxford. Is that a sign that the Conservative leadership are supporting people's right to speak? Or is that not enough? Not really, no. I, I think the, it's, it's quite it's fascinating to watch the engagement of, of modern official conservatism with the, uh, the, the those people on actually on very much on the left who've, who found themselves threatened by the the, the, the transgender business. Uh, I don't think any a prominent conservative person could, without the support of Kathleen Stock or Julie Bindle or the or the others who joined in. Uh, begin to engage in this in this debate. They 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 have no standing at all. Uh, so no, I think it's 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 just it's just I say the remnants of, of conservative politics and journalism in the country uh, acting as if they still have some force to them. But the mere fact that they have to use Kathleen Stock and Julie Bindle as their frontline troops suggests to me they haven't got really much to say for themselves. Yesterday, you tweeted. In response to the Free Speech Union, the Free Speech Union was uh, complaining about free speech issues in the Royal Navy. And you said, 
quote, look, when will you get it? The revolution has happened. Just because there are no red flags flying above the barracks and they still have elections and newspapers, don't assume that the world has not irrevocably changed and passed under a new form of power. What are you getting at there? You've you've hinted at it already. Well, what is this that. revolution? I wasn't guessing at anything. I was stating a fact. My generation, the the left wing generation, which entered university in the late sixties and nineteen seventies, uh, has now taken over. The long march to institutions, which was proclaimed about that time, has taken place and is complete. Uh, there is no institution in this country, from the from the British Museum to your local primary school, which is not now under the control uh, of people whose cultural, sexual, and moral opinions are of the left. Your children will be educated by them. You're, you will be employed by them. If you're employed at all, you'll be taught by them. Uh, the police will be run by them. The courts will be run by them. The prisons will be run by them. The armed forces will be run by them. And why are you surprised? Rod Dreher claims that we're moving towards the sort of situation that was found in Eastern Europe last century under the communists. It's it's different, obviously, in, in various ways, but it's similar in important ways as well. According to Dreher, do you agree with that no. diagnosis? No, I spent a lot of time in Eastern Europe when, it's, when it was still functioning as a, as a communist empire. Uh, it was hugely, uh, officiously and directly repressive. If people spoke out against it, they got into serious trouble, were often put in prison. Uh, or thrown out into exile. It was profoundly, obviously oppressive. You had to be really, really completely dim not to realise you were living in, in, in a place without freedom of speech or thought or assembly. Because it, you were. But the, the subtlety of the, of the post-1968 revolution, which really was affected both by the Prague Spring and by the May events in Paris that year, uh, is that the revolution doesn't behave like that anymore. Uh, the, the people who wanted to transform the world realised in the 1960s, that the Bolshevik experiment had failed. It had failed because it was it, it, it was economically disastrous in the Soviet Empire, uh, because it was reduced to sending tanks into Czechoslovakia, where all that was happening was that uh, Alexander Duchek was trying to experiment with a, a slightly different form of socialism. It wasn't as if he was after rampant capitalism, and their response was tanks. Uh, and at the same time, it wasn't addressing what, of course, is this huge component of the of the late 20th century revolution, which has gripped the world, which is the, the sexual and moral aspect of it, what I call the selfism, the post-Christian uh, belief in hedonism and self-indulgence, which uh, is, is now a very important part of politics. And that was what the May 1968 events in Paris were fundamentally about. The, 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 the whole thing broke out in, in a row over male access to female dormitories in, 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 in Nanterre and the University of Paris. And that's what that was. So sex, drugs and rock and roll met uh, Euro-communism and the collapse of, of, of Bolshevik Marxism and a return to a much more intelligent and subtle form of Marxism, going back, of course, to Antonio Gramsci, who also discovered, discovered far, far before most people on the left did that the Soviet experiment had failed, who said that the, the, the left, if it wanted to succeed, had to dominate the cultural and the educational sphere before it tried to take state power. He, he didn't think that the working classes of Europe were ever going to accept what was being offered to them by the Leninists. Something else needed to be tried. Well, they tried it. The left are not stupid, nor do they give up. Uh, when, they're, when they're defeated, they go back and think, well, how should we do this better? And they, they did. And they came back. And conservatives, who like to pride themselves on being a, a disposition rather than a dogma, never developed any kind of counter to it. They wouldn't think about it 
Uh, and if, uh, it's a terrible both advantage and disadvantage of being me. I'm a former Marxist Leninist. I know how such people think. I know largely who they are. I know how they operate. Uh, but trying to persuade uh, anybody in British politics that that, that uh, the, the Blairites, for instance, were a left-wing group, basically the Euro-communist in their, in their nature, uh, hugely dominated by, by former 1960s and 1970s Marxists, including Blair himself, who confessed long after it, it, it made any difference that he had been a Trotskyist. And nobody even cares because they, they say, oh, well, it's just Hitchens banging on about the left-wing conspiracy again. I'm not. I'm just stating facts. This is where it all originated from. The left re-engineered itself into something different and sought a different kind of revolution, which succeeded in having well conservatives uh, were having a good time somewhere else. And now we pay. So what's the Just don't solution? Come and complain, I told you so. And that's uh, my, <laughs> one of my chief pleasures in life. I, say, I told you so. I, did. I told you so over and over and over again. And you just said, oh, no, no. well, there you are. You can move. You're, you're the prophet nobody listened to. So what's the solution? My sense is you're... There isn't one. Know, there's <laughs> there's no solution. That. There's no solution to defeat. If you're defeated, you've been defeated. And they've just, they've just rolled over us. Because we weren't fighting them, we didn't know what what it was about. We let it all happen. We didn't fight. We didn't have any principled uh, objection to what they were doing. In many cases, we co- collaborated with it as it happened. So now here we are. It's over. There is no solution. You're done for. Is there no speech to rise the troops to counter revolution? What troops? I mean, there are no troops until people understand the nature of the battle. There isn't even a fight, and nobody understands the nature of the battle. They just, they just will not look. They, they will not see that. That the left has, has changed. It's still going about nationalisation and the free market. None of this matters anymore. I, Deng Xiaoping and Peter Mandelson were both pretty much saying the same thing at the same time. To get rich is glorious. They don't care about that stuff anymore. Uh, regulation has displaced state control as, 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 the, as the state's way of controlling the economy. They don't even, they're not interested in nationalising anything any, anymore. In fact, if, if the Labour Party had any use at all, it would be to renationalise the railways, but they're not interested in doing that because that's, that's, that's something that's passed out of their can. All these dead issues and, and controversies of the 1940s and 1950s are still the terms in which the supposed right think about politics. They have not got it. Sex, drugs and rock and roll is what it's all about. And of course, also morality and whether you, whether crime is a is a is a is a moral failing or whether it's a social disease, and one of the reasons why you have no police and why the courts are completely non-functioning, why the prisons are ludicrously full by great paradox, is because we decided that the crime was no longer a, a, a the, the result of, of, of moral failings and of people doing wrong, but a social disease which we could cure by by making a more civilized society. Well, that hasn't worked out. The prisons are almost three times as full as they were 60 years ago when we didn't have that policy. But what are young people to do? If there's if there's no solution, what should young people do? They're going to have no to idea. have a plan. I have no idea. I, 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 if, if I issue advice, it's invariably misunderstood or people people start asking and treating me as a travel agency. I'm not offering any more advice about what anybody should do. If you don't like it, lump it. I have not. No, I, I, I told you so. I told you that this was coming. I told you it was happening. You couldn't, no, you could care less. Now you've got it. Enjoy it. For example, going back to Rod Dreher, I mean, he talks about what's happening. He says that we're looking at soft totalitarianism. And he says we should get ready by forming small communities that can essentially 
withstand the coming storm? I mean, are there even those sort of practical suggestions? Do you, are you behind them or? Yeah, there's a sort of Shangri-La idea that you might all go and find somewhere up in the Himalayas where you could hide from me. I don't know. I, it's, it's so pervasive. I doubt whether you could. Uh, it wouldn't be that they would send agents into your midst to subvert you. It would be that some of the people who were in your Shangri-La would actually be people who believed in the, in the revolution. By its nature, most people do. That's what they've been taught to believe in. They think it's good. I don't know. Maybe it'll work. People of my age are sort of internal exiles, the best we can hope for, just to you know, stick around and carry on living our lives and, and hope to remain unmolested till the end. So You think I'm joking, don't you? You really no, keep smiling. You really think I'm joking. I'm absolutely so not joking. Everything I, I, I say is, is as serious as a tombstone, and you think it's funny because you don't get it either. You just don't get it. When, uh, you, when you say soft totalitarianism, you see the word soft. I see the word totalitarianism. Yeah. Maybe soft, but it's still totalitarian. Yeah, no, I'm smiling because I'm poking you a bit to see, because I think I agree with a lot of what you're saying, and I'm quite pessimistic, but I do think I, I what I would say to young people is not, uh, there's nothing you can do. I, I do think there's, I do want to be hopeful. Uh, so that, that that's why I'm smiling. But no, I, I agree with, with plenty of your, your, your diagnosis. Hopeful of what? It, it, you can raise your sword on the on, on the on the barricades, liberty leading the people, and lead them to what? Well, I think you could be hopeful. It's irresponsible to raise to, to raise hopes you can't actually fulfil. What is? Where are you leading them to? What is your? What, what's inscribed on your banner? Well, I think that even if Rod Rod Drown, your view is is correct, and I have plenty of time for it i think there are certain things that we can cherish going forward so you can still have family friends we can still keep alive uh learning etc so there's still good things that can be continued even if uh, surely this assault on, assault on learning has been one of the most uh, devastating of, of all the actions of the revolution i mean you go to any of the great universities now and what and you your, your children go to them what are they taught are they taught the canon of, of, of literature and history? Are they taught are they, are they taught the classics? No, they're not. Are they taught history as you understand it? No, they're not. Even science is moving away from the from from, from its hard purpose of experimentation and, and, and a relentless search for truth, and is prepared to compromise with politics in ways that it never was before. That's gone. Family, well, okay, but what sort of family? What sort of family are you allowed to have now? What sort of family will the state support what sort of family will the state give encouragement to and what sort of family will the state discourage by the tax and benefit system and by the morality which is endorses and your friends you you will have you have friends you will find you have friends who are of the revolution they are there they are they, it's they, they they are people who agree with this yeah i guess i just have in mind so to say we're talking about dissidents people that aren't of this revolution i think mm -hmm. that particularly because of the internet and because of certain platforms like substack and locals you can still have learning continuing and you can i think you can still keep up friendships with with people who are dissidents but uh, anyway i mean i say i agree well, every, with a lot of it. every dictatorship has its has its secret rebel army they all they're always there, but they, they just they just exist as a sort of they're part of the totalitarianism. They, they don't actually ever have any impact. They can't overthrow it. Yes. Well, the question of 
overthrowing the question of the counter revolution is 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 a different one but i definitely think that there's there's hope for those of us who want to uh, resist in 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 our own communities now let's think about how how we got here of course you're referring to a lot of the big bigger political changes you're talking about the 60s you're talking about neo marxism etc part of it surely is also the new atheists so about 15 years ago we had the new atheists pushing to get rid of religion and your uh, late brother of course was was a part of that uh but do you think the new atheists are happy with what they've got you've got people like richard dawkins now quite critical of some of what's going on in transgenderism but there's a sense with people like dawkins that perhaps this wasn't the sort of rationalistic utopia he was hoping for well i'm glad he's realized that now that's all i can say but i mean no i'm sorry i it was a great publishing for the new atheists and a lot of publishers and indeed authors did very well out of it is all i can say but it wasn't the real uh, the real triumph of, of Secularism had already taken place. The, the the schools in this country, for instance, the state schools are supposed have been supposed, I think, by law for some time to provide acts of Christian worship generally to encourage the Christian religion. They haven't done so for ages, and it's been the, the Christianity has been more or less vacuumed out of every aspect of our society. Uh, the judges, if you if you challenge them, although the, the most of the old court buildings of this country carry Christian symbolism, quotes from the, the Psalms and the Bible, statues of Moses and Christ, they, the judges will now say specifically the law of this country is not based on Christianity. All this is gone. Uh, the churches themselves, in, in, in many cases, struggle to base their activities on Christianity. It's hard to see exactly where it fits into what some of them do. Uh, so it, Dawkins didn't need to do anything for any of that to happen. It was already underway. The country was had been de-Christianized and, and, and secularized for some years beforehand. And most people don't, uh, below, I should say probably below 45, have very little idea of any Christian scripture or what the Christian religion is or what it says. It's amazing when I get into internet arguments with people about, say, Christianity and science, how little my interlocutors know about either. What do you think Christianity offers to people in wider society at this on our current cultural moment offers i don't know i i i, I never really thought of it that way i mean, christianity christianity is a is a is a, a belief which um which accepts that certain events took place and therefore the world is different from what it might otherwise seem to be uh, you either accept that and adopt it or you don't but it's not a merchandise I guess some might say that due to the influence of the new atheists, well, or not, depending on what your uh, explanation of the events is, people are less religious now. And uh, they're searching. People are searching for identity. They're searching for purpose. They're searching for a sense of transcendence. They're looking for it in some of the sort of identity politics stuff that we see in wider society. But what they really need is Christianity, and Christianity can meet the needs of that expresses itself in the confusion that's going on. Well, I don't think that's true. I think the, the it was the atheism created the new atheist, rather than the new atheists created atheism, and the decline in, in religion created the new atheist, rather than the other way around. Uh, I'm not at all sure that people are seeking uh, the. A, a, a purpose in life because I think they already have one. 
uh, their purpose in life is to live their lives as unmolested as possible by other people and to have as much personal autonomy as they possibly can. That's what they want. It's a perfectly uh, understandable desire. And in a society where they've been taught to the, the transcendent and the, and, the, and the eternal and meaningless rubbish, then it's not particularly surprising they pursue it. Some young Christians are turning, uh, or they're trying to sort of bring together Christianity and Marxism. Now, you've also obviously got a lot of experience with both. What's <laughs> well, your uh, view of the attempt to reconcile Christianity with Marxism? Good luck with that. I'm not sure. The thing about, I, I know what Christianity is, uh, but I, I also know that Marxism can have, can, is protein, has many, many different um, forms. Uh, but it is fundamentally materialist and fundamentally scientist and reductionist. And it's, it, it also it, it believes profoundly that man can be altered. Uh, whereas the whole basis of Christianity is that, is that man is made in the image of God and is not alterable. And that, since Helvetius, has been the great point of division between revolutionists, not just Marxist revolutionists, but revolutionists going back to 1792. Uh, who hated Christianity, I might say, and Christianity is, is this great division. Can man be remade? Can we start the world over again? Or is man unalterable, made in the image of God? There is no reconciliation. So I think they've misunderstood one or the other of the two things they're trying to reconcile. Do you have any parting thoughts or words of encouragement to young people, young Christians these days, or what do we think? Well, the hope is in the eternal, not in the temporal. Okay. Uh, the, the eternal is, I'm reminded, it, it's one of the funniest things I ever heard, and it seems to me to be not just funny, but profound. When Basil Hume, I think, was uh, was in charge of a big Catholic boys' school, Apple, I think it was, uh, some parents uh, came to visit him to see if they wanted to send their children to this place. And after being shown around the school and its magnificent buildings, they said, um, the headmaster or whatever he was called, uh, what exactly is it you prepare the children for, expecting them to say, oh, entrance to Oxford Cambridge? What exactly is it you prepare, that you prepare the children for when they're at the other school? And he said, death. <laughs> I thought that was both, as I say, very witty and very profound. It's, it's where we all go. It's what we're all, you know, we, it's, the, it's the next world, not this one that we're, being, we're preparing ourselves for. And if, the, if this world is as usual, a veil of tears and doesn't contain much to be hoped for, then you, you have to hope for the rest. And whatever uh, whatever the, 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 the struggles are, whatever your own personal pilgrimage progress is, the thing to remember is that if you if you are a believer, then it's eternity that's your main concern, not, not temporal. But uh, it's not a particularly cheerful message for most people, but there it is. Just have a good read of uh, have a good read of Gray's elegy written in a country churchyard, and uh, and see how you feel about that. Very good. You'll tell me off for smiling again, but it, it finishes us well because our next guest is Dr. Jim Paul, director of English Librarie, who's just written a book on heaven. So we'll be getting into that. Peter Hitchens, thank you very much for joining us on Creed and Culture today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.